Well, welcome everybody to Menlo Midweek, and if you've been listening for a while, you know that if I, Jessica, start the podcast, that means Mark is not here, but we have hmm, the next best thing, the better thing, oh. the better option, I don't know, one and only <laughs> Rochelle Summers. That's a, Welcome, Rochelle. Thank you. High compliment, <laughs> but it's a, it's a big job to fill Mark's seat. It is. <laughs> yeah. It's a big chair, too. It so is a big literally. Chair. Not yeah. <laughs> and of course, we have Phil with us. What's welcome, up Phil. You're all. Yay, welcome. Woohoo. Didn't want you to feel less no, than, you know. Great. <laughs> um, well, before we jump in, I don't know about you guys, but I am excited for fall weather. Mm-hmm. Getting, I'm over this whole heat thing. You're sure. wearing a sweatshirt, Rochelle. I'm very yeah. jealous. You guys have a favorite thing about fall. Oof. Well, not in California yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, I mean, New York in the fall is just so dreamy. Oh, I'm sure. So beautiful. The crisp, cool air, leaves changing colors, mm-hmm. uh, apple cider, apple cider donuts, things like that, apple picking. I know you can go apple picking here, too, but it's different when it's, like, 80 degrees versus, yeah. you know, 65 or something. True. Yeah. True. That's good. And I do feel like uh, as a fellow non-native Californian I grew up in Ohio and I think there are doses of what I remember of Ohio weather that I feel in the evening of the Bay Area Mm -hmm. in the fall so yes past let's call it eight o'clock at night in the backyard it feels different and so uh that is pretty incredible and I'm a pretty early riser so I get that same thing kind of early Mm -hmm. pre-sunrise too Mm -hmm. And so that feels, those two things feel great. The more, the middle of the day is like, what season are we in? I don't yeah, know. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But those two things feel great. So I'll take it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I agree. How about you as a Californian, oh, as I a know. real Californian? What do you like about fall? Um, the shade of the sunlight? Is that what it is? Like <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, I was very excited this morning when I got up and I took my dog out. I got to put on like actual sweatpants instead of just like shorts. I was like, yes, it's coming. The yeah. coldness. Coldness? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I think what I've realized I like about fall is it's the start of the holiday season. Mm-hmm. I love Christmas and I'm starting to like love Halloween more and I love Thanksgiving. So it's like, I think that's been my realization actually in the couple last couple of days. I was like, why am I getting into Halloween? And it's because I'm just, it's like, okay, this is step one right. to get us to yeah, Christmas. It's good. <laughs> that's funny. But I do love the like, the cold nights and mornings, like my windows open all night and I wake up and I'm like curled up in a mm-hmm. little ball. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, mm, this is perfect. I love this. If yeah. I could watch a movie outside at night, at least once a week, I think that would be oh. like the perfect fall for yeah. California. Yeah, that's know. good. Yeah. I have a Halloween list of movies if you want it. Get them all out there that's on that good. screen. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reach out to Alyssa. You guys, I'm sure, could come over and watch a movie with her yes. back there. So yeah. down for that. Mm-hmm. Well, without Mark here, I don't know how to segue. So we've been in this. Yeah. You Speaking of holidays. Speaking of holidays <laughs> and Halloween. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, no, I don't know. I'm not going to try to do it. Um, we closed the series, Teach Us How to Pray, the last four weeks. This last Sunday was our last week on it phil taught which is why he's here um it was a cool series we'll talk a little bit later on some of the cool things that we've learned personally but why don't you go ahead and give us a little summary of what this last sunday was all about yeah so anytime you finish a series you're trying to do two things one is catch everybody up that wasn't here for any (laughs) of the previous especially in a 
a message like this. There are plenty of teachings that we have that are non-linear, that are mm -hmm. non-sequential. This is not one of those. It is both linear and sequential. Yeah. It's important that you understand it in sequence. And so uh, the last several weeks in particular, I will try, I've like tried to stack, in, even in two minutes of a message, I'll try and stack previous concepts so that folks understand, oh, that we, we did, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, I, did, I remember that. Okay, this works together. And then phrases that you're incorporating over the course of a series that you, sometimes you walk into a series knowing, sometimes you just extemporaneously say it. Uh, but you know, this, this idea of Jesus prayer being a model, not a mantra mm -hmm. for an actual, not transactional relationship with God. Th those are key themes that I hope people can take with them so that the pressure of prayer being this performance with God goes away. Mm -hmm. And so you're doing that and you're covering the text that you're in, uh, which is really important. This particular passage, right? This idea about reflexes, uh, creating just like we have physical reflexes, kind of spiritual reflexes in our prayer. And so one was about forgiveness, that just like we love God because he loves us, we forgive others because God has forgiven us. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the idea around temptation and sin, that we escape not because we're really smart or because we're really good, but because God delivers us. He's the active agent in it. Mm -hmm. And so trying to help people get some um, practical next steps about how to do that stuff, understand the weight of it, incorporate hopefully a little bit of my own personal story in why I think this is true and how I've experienced it, both in easy ways and hard ways. Um, and I think, uh, like I said, hopefully wrap the series in a way that if you've been with it the whole time, you go, wow, I've got great notes and some really good language about how to think about prayer in my next season or how I need to think about prayer in, um, in kind of this moment in my life. Uh, and then if you were just here for this one, hopefully you go, oh, this is helpful. I should go listen <laughs> to some other stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome. Forgiveness. That's a that's a big topic to get in a half of a sermon almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that I've got some friends who I think struggle with the forgiveness piece of this isn't just like, oh, this person wronged me in this one little way mm -hmm. or I've got to forgive, you know, my husband because he was ignoring me or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like big things that people have done that have made catastrophic ca catastrophic maybe that's a big word but something bad happened because of their decision that mm -hmm. then spiraled into one thing after another all these bad things keep happening because of this one thing mm -hmm. and they want to forgive this person but because of all of the other implicate or the other things that have happened because of that it's just how do you do that you know mm -hmm. it's like i want to get over that. I want to move forward. I want to stop thinking about this person all the time, but because everything I do feels like it's hitched on what this one person did to me. Yeah. How do you, I mean, yes, prayer is a great answer to that, but w would you have any advice for something like that? Sure. I got some in the back of my head, but Rochelle, why don't you go first? Well, mm -hmm. I was, when you brought it up in this sermon, I thought, well, this is, this is going to be a sermon in itself yeah. all about forgiveness. And I, I forget the exact line you said, but you, f you said something about forgiveness isn't relational reconciliation. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that is so freeing when you can understand your forgiveness in Christ mm -hmm. and forgive someone else you're you're not expected to have the same relationship with them. Mm -hmm. That's how I took that or would receive it. Um, and because you forgive someone, you can love them from a distance or mm -hmm. say, because I forgive you, 
I don't have to be in your life mm-hmm. all the time. Um, or like if it's a marriage, that's different because you are in a relationship <laughs> yeah. all the time, you know? Um, so yeah, forgiveness I think has many layers, but you saying, um, in the beginning part of that, that we've kind of like used it as an act or faked it. Mm-hmm. That was like, I, I was amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, we have, we've used forgiveness as just like pretend. But is it transforming our hearts? Mm. Is the forgiveness of Christ really transforming our hearts? So I think that, like, uh, I think there is in some of these kind of aspects that the Bible says only flow as a fruit of the Spirit. Like, that's the only way any of this makes sense or works. As a way of not having to depend on God, we train ourselves to put on a Christian costume. And one of the components of the Christian costume is facing, faking the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And one of those areas, I think, is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And we train our kids to, we do this, like in right. the Eubank household, we do this. Um, and we do it for very good reasons. Uh, but just like we talked about over the course of the summer, we need to scale stories as kids get older. Um, I think we need to help people understand as they get older, you know, what it means for our four-year-old to say, I'm sorry, and what repentance looks like for mm-hmm. him. That's going to be one thing, and what it is when he's eight, and when he's twelve, mm-hmm. and when he's fifteen. You know, when um, when our fourteen-year-old does something wrong, he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Like it is not an accident. Mm-hmm. Right. It was not just a thing that he was being silly about. There is something more under the hood. And if I treat him as a parent like it's the same flippant, childish thing, like one of our younger kids has done, I'm undercutting his development. Mm-hmm. And so there is a sit-down conversation to say, "Hey, help me understand." What's been cooking inside of you and for right. how long that yeah. this feels like it's the right next step for you in this relationship? Why you think you are morally justified to do this? And uh, it's hard. It's, it's a, that's a, a hard piece to understand. It, but at the same time, the, the premise with which Jesus, just a couple verses later, talks about forgiveness is he says, hey, just so we all remember, <laughs> like... The God of the universe looked at our lives, and even though he created us in his image with infinite dignity, value, and worth, we are more flawed than we can possibly imagine, and we are more loved than we could possibly imagine. And because of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, everything that we have done wrong, everything that we will do wrong, the cosmic layer of rebellion that is integrated into the human genome of our life has been forgiven once and for all forever by the creator of the universe who has never done anything to us. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes when we get disconnected from that Mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit can't like continue to do work on us because of that, well, then all of a sudden we become very, we become very self-justified. We become very morally uh, indignatious towards other people when instead it's like, well, if that's happened for me, well, then obviously I would forgive someone else. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus gives us that metaphor of the person who's been forgiven much, and then he won't forgive others. That is the parallel, by the way, in every scenario of our life. Yeah. I talked a little bit about my own story. I grew up in a very difficult home uh, and had a very difficult relationship with my dad. But in the grand scheme of eternity, it is the same. I have been forgiven much, and I, God was asking me to forgive very little by mm-hmm. contrast with my dad. Now, it still involved therapy. Yeah. It still involved lots of work that I needed to do personally in our relationship. I, re- I mentioned Henry Cloud's book, Boundaries. It still involved boundaries. Yeah. All of those things are there. And where my dad and my relationship got to by the time he died, that literally took 15 years mm-hmm. right. to get there yeah. from when I started doing that work and he chose to start doing that work. It was not overnight. 
And so uh, forgiveness does not mean forgetfulness. Mm -hmm. Uh, It does not mean instant relational reconciliation. And it doesn't mean you're not allowed to have boundaries. I would argue, actually, you aren't meaningfully forgiving the person if it's just a Christian costume and you pretend it never happened Mm -hmm. because you know that's not true. Right. And, And forgiving someone does not mean that they are spared the consequences of their decisions. Just mm. like in our case, if someone forgave you, uh, it does not mean you're free from the consequences of your decision. So right. uh, I think all of that has to be included in the way we think about forgiveness. It doesn't just mean I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it on the chin over and over and over again, but there is a tension, right? Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive somebody? You know, right. I got it. Biblical number of completion, seven times. Is that what we're doing? And Jesus says, well, kind of, seven times 70. And he, he didn't mean 490. He meant <laughs> as many as it takes because the reservoir of how we forgive others mm-hmm. is infinite because the forgiveness we have experienced from God is infinite. So I just want to never make sure we, I want to make sure we never um, sort of lose the plot. Of, we're not forgiving because we're good people. Mm-hmm. We're forgiving because we have a good God right. who has forgiven us infinitely that we might have the, that reservoir of forgiveness to extend to others. Yeah. It's a supernatural act. If you go, this is impossible. I can't do this. I agree. You can't. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you it can. takes a community and like you said, therapy or just doing hard work. Um, I just want to add one more thing about with the kids, something I have tried to model with forgiveness and saying, sorry, or having them understand it is by doing it myself. Like if yeah. I can go to my kids and say, Hey, I'm really sorry for, what just happened or how I treated you without the, and you did something wrong part, right? right? Like owning my behavior Mm -hmm. in in our relationship and owning my apology to my kids, hopefully will model how they should also Mm -hmm. apologize. And and I don't know if you guys had any of that growing up, but I never had that growing up. And so the idea of like going to my kids and saying, Hey buddy, I'm so sorry that I showed up that way Mm -hmm. that, you didn't deserve all that. That had a lot more to do with like what's going on inside mm-hmm. of me than what you did. I'm really right. sorry. End of conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll even like say, Hey, you don't have to say anything or do anything right now, but, but I do want to ask you for your forgiveness mm-hmm. and I want to know, Hey, how can I make you and me right? You know? And, uh, that conversation sounds like one thing with our youngest and something else <laughs> with our oldest. And, uh, when I talk to our 11 year old daughter, it actually feels like she's a counselor in my life somehow. You know, like every kid <laughs> is different. Um, and so I think you have to you have to scale that. And that's the same way in adult relationships. It's, mm-hmm. You know, you, there's not a one size fits all about what relational reconciliation looks like. So. Yeah. And it's so important. I think, you know, as adults, when we are having difficult times with our friends, being able to actually have those hard conversations in love is where you actually grow and learn how to forgive and work together and, you know, figure all of that stuff out. Well, what's the proverb say, right? The wounds of a friend can be trusted. Mm-hmm. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. Friend will love you at all times. Family is born in adversity. Mm-hmm. Those are principles. And right. I think that when we put on a Christian costume, we are friends until conflict exists, and then we're no longer friends. And really what it is is we just all have acquaintances. We have comfortable acquaintances, and when relationships get inconvenient because people reveal that they're imperfect because everyone is imperfect and it requires forgiveness, we just move on. And uh, I would say that the call of Jesus is to not move on. Yeah. That's so good. Anything else with forgiveness before we move on to temptation? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the overall the overall point I was trying to make is that uh, reflexes take time to develop. And mm-hmm. so if you go, man, I, I really haven't thought about this. I don't really forgive. We live in a culture that says forgiveness is weakness. 
And I would say the New Testament pattern is not that forgiveness is weakness, it's meekness. Meekness means power under control. Weakness means lack of power. So forgiveness is meekness. It's power under control, supernaturally provided. And if you haven't done it, you're not going to get good at it this week. You'll get better at it this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just be patient with yourself. Be Mm -hmm. patient with other people. Mm -hmm. What does it look like to genuinely let someone off the hook? Because the person that's most on the hook for your unforgiveness is actually you. Mm -hmm. Even as a kid that grew up in an abusive home with a brother that ran away and physical abuse and sexual abuse, like horrible things that took place inside of my home. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. The person that was most on the hook for unforgiveness in my life was me. And it didn't mean that I was going to just say, hey, we're all good now. Like, it took lots of work. Um, But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. If you think, I don't want to, I want this to stay over this person, it's way more over you than it is them. Right. The kids call that living rent-free in your head. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the youth. Yeah, yeah. When I say stuff like that to, to my kids, they're like, we don't say that anymore. Because like, <laughs> it changes every day. Yeah, every 12 much. seconds. Yeah. yeah. What is the one that Alyssa told me? She, there was some Gen Z phrase, and I was like, I... Riz? I, that's exactly what it was. Oh she told gosh. me the same thing. Like, yeah, charisma? Yeah. I was like, yeah. I would have never guessed that. Yeah, she's like, you got the Riz. And I was like, is that a disease? Like, yeah. I don't understand. So, <laughs> Do anyway. I need to take medication right, for yeah, yeah. it? Is there, is there a vaccine available? Yeah. Oh, gosh. yeah. That's yep. funny. It's good. And I think, too, with forgiveness, it's it's not just, and maybe you can speak into this a little bit with your whole family dynamic of, like, okay, I feel like I'm finally at the point where I'm forgiven you and now I can move on and be happy for the rest of my life and never think about all the trauma that I had in my past, never be triggered by anything, never be activated by anything. Forgiveness, check, done, moving on. That's how it is, right? Yeah, yeah, no, not not quite. (laughs) Yeah, and I think I've talked about this in the past that, um, you know, especially if you experience kind of capital T trauma, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a book I recommended called The Body Keeps the Score. It's not a Christian book, it's just a book book, but uh, I think it's helpful in that this idea of, well, I'm past it. So I will, you still live in a body. (laughs) You're still a person. And so the like psychological, the physiological response that you have to stress is trained. And so can God change that over time? Of course he can. Absolutely. But when you get into a situation, you respond different. All of us do. We respond based on our trained lived experience. And so, um, yeah, I, part of that for me was, uh, EMDR therapy where, um, you know, I learned that not everybody only had one or two memories of their first 12 years of life. I didn't, mm. I didn't know that actually it was in relationship as Alyssa and I were getting more serious. She would talk about all these childhood experiences and he's like, well, tell me about your first grade. And I was like, what's first grade? You know, I had no idea. Yeah. And, uh, you, you sort of work, hopefully you can find like a great Christian counselor who's really well-trained in trauma informed therapy that can peel that stuff out of you. And then when you face that next thing, that's going to trigger you and make you show up not well. You can say out loud, hey, I just want you to know this is really hard for me because of stuff in my past. It's not about this conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work really hard to show up well in this, but I want you to know that this is a part of that. Right. And uh, it is going to take time. And I, I think there's, you know, we're not we're not victims to our life. I'm not victim to my life. Right. Uh, I survived a lot of things growing up, and that's to the credit of God and some really great people, including my mom. Um, but I would say there is... I, I, there are things that I'm good at today mm-hmm. that God leveraged pain in my past mm-hmm. to make me good at. Yeah, uh, I depend on God differently today because depending on him as a little kid was not an option. Right. And so if you go, well, you, God can't use me, all this hard stuff's happened to me, I would say, oh, you have, you have no idea how God can use you 
because that hard stuff happened. And then right. I think there are people that hear a story like mine and they go, well, I guess God can't use me because I don't have anything that dramatic. And I would say, praise God, you don't yeah. have anything that dramatic. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's so good. You're yeah. starting You're starting several floors ahead of me. Yeah. Uh, and your ability to parent, your ability to show up as a friend, like you have a lot less baggage you carry into that conversation. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, you will end up being great teammates, great managers, great leaders, great friends of people just like me right. because you don't carry that baggage. You're mm-hmm. able to walk alongside really well. So anyway, that's... Just a, a quick take on it. Uh, Body Keeps the Score, Boundaries, both very, very helpful books in this conversation. Uh, Henry Cloud also has a bunch of stuff online. If you're just wanting to double down into this conversation of forgiveness and what is the difference between forgiving yourself, experiencing God's forgiveness, forgiving other people, walking through the process of getting better at this over time, there are uh, there are volumes of work that, that are done on this conversation, so I don't want it to feel minimized. Like, well, I just listened to 20 minutes of a podcast, so now I'm infinitely capable of forgiving everyone. Like, that is <laughs> not true. So. Yeah, and I like you you touched on um, the the phrase. I don't even, it's not fully scripture, but that God was, uh, doesn't give you more than you can handle. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think there's so many people that he, that believe that, um, I think even our Sank ministry, Young Adults, they did a whole series on things that, I forget what it was called, but it was like things that you think people have used f- at you or you thought they're from the Bible and they're actually not, or they actually right, right. mean something completely different. And so I love that you touched on that to remind people like this isn't really what it says. Right. And it's better, right? Like when we take those passages, it's always better than the way we reduce it. Mm-hmm. So we, it, it's not that God's given you some things that you can't handle. Sorry, that's not the, It's that God's given you things you can't handle on your own, and the good news is you don't have to, and He doesn't want you to. Right. And yeah. so it's always about how do we take a passage ripped out of context, step one, put it back into context, read the verses before, the verses after, understand the letter that it was written within to the church at Corinth, and then what are the bigger themes of that idea within all of Scripture? And so if you're ever wondering, right, you can go look at topical Bibles. You can go look at a concordance. You can look at themes throughout the text. A really easy way to do this, by the way, if you go to the uh, website openbible.info, there's a topical search thing that's kind of crowdsourced. Hmm. So if you go to that and you type in like forgiveness and hit go, it will give you people who have gone through the website and selected like on different things. And even if there's one of them that's kind of sideways, like you're going to see a whole bunch of passages that relate to that. Hmm. And so you can kind of go, hey, am I taking one wildly out of context on this principle where all the others seem to say this thing and I believe this thing, that's a helpful way to chase some breadcrumbs on Mm -hmm. a particular topic. Yeah, that's good. Temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Mm -hmm. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, I think that there's a parallel text, I would argue, in this in James 1. Uh, So uh, James, the baby brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, uh, he's addressing like a concern where someone would say, well, God, I can't believe you're tempting me. Why are you tempting me with this? Maybe you thought that way. And um, James's response is, uh, let no one say when he's being tempted, I'm being tempted by God, which is like, oh, you're reading my mail. For God (laughs) cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone, but each each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own desire, his own lust. And when that lust conceives, it gives birth to sin. When that sin is full grown, it brings forth death. And so this idea of, when you look at the full text of James 1, it's the difference between tests and temptation. Uh, in the Greek, uh, in the Greek, in, in Greek, the <laughs> language that it was originally written in, that's the same Greek word, uh, test and temptation. Hmm. 
And so it's all about context. And so uh, really, God gives us things that are designed to be tests, th- designed to grow our faith. And if we depend on Him, they become that. And if we depend on ourselves, they become temptations. Hmm. And so I think you have to sort of take all of that into um, view when you go to a passage uh, like the Lord's Prayer, where it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's this idea of, instead of, God, me going down the pathway of temptation, let this be a trial that we walk through together, right? If you go to Psalm 23, you see a passage that's very familiar, like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Mm-hmm. When we think about the New Testament construct of who God is, what's the a fundamental naming scheme of Jesus, Elohim, that he is God with us, that he has chosen relationship. We're supposed to walk through all this with him. And so I think fundamentally it often starts with the same kernel, and if I pursue that challenge in my life by myself, it will become temptation, mm-hmm. and then eventually that temptation is likely to become sin and pain and loss and hurt. And if we say, all right, God, I'm going to depend on you and your people, that becomes a test that can grow us. And if you're going, what's that pattern? That's Romans 5. So then you go over Romans 5, and it talks about how pain, difficulty, and suffering ultimately produces a more meaningful hope that we get to walk out for the next trial that comes our way. Hmm. Thinking of uh, trials and pain and suffering, I'd like to talk about something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Nothing too heavy. I've loved this series and the idea of, you know, going to God in prayer. And um, I appreciate your vulnerability all the time about your your childhood and your past trauma. And you expressed uh, depression after losing your mom and your brother this year. So I appreciate all of that because I think there are so many people who suffer day to day with those issues, um, including myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I have mentioned here before that I'm in seminary and a couple of months ago I was in a class on uh, serving resiliency uh, in being a pastor. And one of the um, practices we had to do was every week we had to keep track of how we were taking care of ourselves. And so every Saturday Mm -hmm. I would write like, I worked out three to four times a week. I went for a walk with a friend. I talked to my husband Uh, and I did the same things every week. And, um, But I would note that, like, still feeling like, you know, it wasn't enough, still Mm -hmm. feeling like maybe I'm emotionally tired or mentally tired. And by the end, I said, I've noticed that I keep doing all these physical things to keep my my physical health going, which is important in life, um, but I'm not feeling myself. And my professor said, well, it's good that you're doing all these things and keeping track of prayer because I was also praying and doing meditative practices each day. But I didn't feel like they were helping. And she said, you might want to seek some more help. Maybe talk to a therapist. Mm. And then it was the summertime and my kids were home. (laughs) And I just kind of like kept going. Mm. And um, I started to feel like this weight in my body, in my heart, that was really hard to shake off. And as I mentioned just before, I work out three to four times a week. I lift weights with a friend. And that's kept me accountable, right? So I've had this professor who noticed something in my life that wasn't really working. I have a friend who is keeping me accountable with still working out. And uh, about a month ago, uh, we were lifting weights and I, I couldn't do it. Like I physically, I couldn't do a bench press the way that I was. And she was like, what is wrong? What is happening to you? You know, and, and I just didn't know. I just didn't know what was wrong. And I ended up finding a therapist and I expressed all of these things that like, I'm living my life. I get up with my kids every day. I cook dinner. 
I'm working out, taking my care of myself physically. I have people around me, but I don't know what's wrong. She's like, well, it sounds like you're going through depression. You know, um, I also was crying a lot and just feeling sad. And it sounds like you're going through depression. So like, let's talk to a doctor. And I bring all of this up because sometimes we're told that all we need to do is pray. Mm -hmm. All we need to do is seek God and you'll be okay. And you have been so great about saying like, if you need help, get therapy. You've been so great saying that on the podcast, from the stage, in one-to-one conversations. And I just want to reiterate that, that like, yes, this prayer that's, you know, not a mantra, but what did you say? What was the other word? A model Mm -hmm. is so important for us to do daily. And if we're continually seeking God, the other key you've mentioned is the people around us. And I think we really, it is so important to have people around us who see and know us the way that God sees and knows us because we can't live life alone. We really, really can't. Yeah, well, I, I, th- I appreciate you sharing that. I think there's there's just such a pressure, right? We're going to start this new series this weekend, and I think there's this, this such heavy pressure in the worldview that we're just, just a, a fire hose is being poured on us every day. Live independent. Need no one. Mm-hmm. Depend on nothing. And when we choose to be faithfully follower, faithfully following Jesus, we are choosing to be dependent on God and interdependent with one another. Mm-hmm. That's the choice. And if we don't understand how countercultural that is, it will be so easy for us to just drift or have kind of that acquaintance level, appropriate level of sharing. But when it gets difficult... We either pull back from that relationship or we just hide. Mm-hmm. We just hide. We just hide. And if you if you remember from Genesis 3, hiding is never a good plan. Mm-mm. Like, it's never a good plan. Right. And uh, I think that the church has been uh, really good. Like, I have a friend right now who's um, who's going through cancer treatment. He's young, just devastating, really, really hard, praying for him, praying for his family. And here's what I'm praying. God, would you use chemotherapy? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. God, yes. would you use the doctors that he's going to see today? Would you use his treatment yeah. to battle back this disease, to bring full healing to his body? Like, right. there's no conflict in that. God, right. use it. Yeah. Do all the things that you're going to do, God. Right. Could God take it away in a moment? Absolutely. And we prayed that too. Yeah. And now we go, all right, God, looks like you're going to use medicine. Yeah. I believe for you to do that. Right. And he, he would tell you his prayer is, God, you can, and even if you don't, I'm going to stay faithful to you, mm, which yeah. is a shocking prayer yeah. for little right. kids. And I, 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 God bless them. That's um, something I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's something that I had to come to the conclusion to as well. Like th- speaking with my therapist, speaking with my doctor, like, hey, I'm going to try medication yeah. because I'm doing all the things. And that doesn't make me less holy before mm-hmm. God. That doesn't make me less worthy of healing. In fact, it's the thing that's available to right. help. Absolutely. Um, and I think that if I may add about the temptation, the temptation when we're going through hard experiences is to. Uh, pull away is to be alone, mm-hmm. and that is counterculture, countercultural to exactly what Jesus is telling us to do. But right. no, we have to lean into the pain with other people who will help us, and maybe that's science and medication as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I think just like we would pray, God, would you use chemo? God, would you use this prescription medication? God, would you use this treatment plan? Our brain is a part of a body, right? Saying, yeah. God, would you use this medicine? Would you use this appointment? Uh, to help me move beyond where I am today. And it's same thing, right? Like you need to know it's a process. It's not mm-hmm. an overnight thing. And I think especially around mental health, oftentimes those patterns are decades, mm-hmm. they're decades old. And so if we go, well, I, I had an appointment, I don't feel better. Like, well, if you ever, I think the, the metaphor for um, 
for mental health therapy that's actually probably a better one than medicine is actually physical therapy. I blew up my knees a couple times in college or in high school rather. And um, physical therapy stinks and it never feels like you're making that much progress. And after every session, you're like, gosh, was this even worth it? Mm -hmm. And depending on how bad it is, you go more often. Mm -hmm. And it's only in uh, the rear view mirror, oftentimes only with significant distance that you go, oh, three months ago, I couldn't do any of this. I never felt like this massive step forward. It was just small incremental growth every day for month after month after month and staying faithful. And I think if you find yourself dealing with anxiety or depression, trust that God can do it overnight if he wants to. And I've seen God do that. Um, But I think a lot of times God wants to do something in us and through us through the long haul of the slow way rather than just the quick way. That's right. How do you, you know, you said you've seen people pray the prayer, make this go away and it goes away immediately. And then there's other, like, you know, that take time. How do you reconcile with, you know, if you're praying that prayer, take this away, take this away. Okay, it's not going away. It's going to be a process. Why do other people get theirs taken away and I don't? Yeah, I mean, that's the million dollar (laughs) question, right? I think that uh, we don't know the answer. Yeah. I think the, the question to be able to wrestle with personally with God is why? Mm -hmm. You know, God, why won't you do it this way? But I think the thing you know is that God is saying, I have a plan. Like Mm -hmm. if I was going to do it that way, God is always playing chess, not checkers, right? He's not just thinking about you. He's thinking about a cosmic plan that involves everyone, everywhere, at all times. And so I think that understanding, well, my plan and my priorities might be best served by God doing it the way I think he should. There have been plenty of times in my life where if I look backwards, if I had gotten what I wanted, when I wanted to get it, mm-hmm. it would have been a mess. Sure. And I can look back and say, God, I'm I'm really glad I didn't end up with that woman as my wife. I'm really <laughs> glad I didn't say yes to that ministry opportunity. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that I didn't get the thing that I thought I wanted at that age. I'm so glad. God, I'm, I'm. And so I think that hopefully over time you can kind of look back and go, if I could trust you then, I can trust you now. Mm-hmm. And even if it's into eternity before I understand all the means by which you are using this moment, this pain, and this difficulty, I trust you enough to trust you in the midst of that. And, mm-hmm. and you just may not be there today, and that's okay. Yeah. God's patient, so patient. And if you go, I just want to know that this is okay for me to pray this way, for me to struggle with this, book of Job is a great book mm-hmm. for that. The book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament is a great book for that. Uh, men of God who are going, God, I'm, I'm actually pretty annoyed. I'm pretty mad. You know, when we read Jonah... We're kind of like, Joni, you're just, you're just kind of being a jerk, man. <laughs> like, you, you, we, yeah. don't, we don't connect with that. But Habakkuk going, God, I'm, I'm living the way I'm supposed to live, and, and you're not doing what you should be doing, and you're not moving Israel forward. And then God literally, like one of my favorite passages, basically says uh, to Habakkuk, like, buckle up, buddy. Like, we're about to, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And then he gives him this look at a plan that's bigger than his moment, and he goes, I'm going to be quiet for a minute. And the same kind of thing happens for Job. But to see that God is patient and willing to engage with us when we don't understand, when we're frustrated, when we're confused. And sometimes he's going to reveal it. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes it's going to be an eternity. And I think part of following an infinite God is understanding uh, he doesn't answer to me. And Mm -hmm. I have to come to peace with that. In more uh, layman's movie terms... um, the Lord of the Rings, the mm, first time I watched yes. it, and spoiler alert if you haven't read or watched it <laughs> 20 yet. years later. Uh, like, at the end, 
when um, Frodo, um, you know, I'm not going to name things because I'll say it wrong. The eagles come. Yes. The giant flying eagles come and they rescue them. Mm -hmm. Right. And I thought, I said to Dad, there were eagles the whole time. I know. (laughs) Like the whole time there were these eagles who could have, they didn't have to go through all of the the trials that they went through. There were eagles the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) And... Matt was like, yes, but Frodo wouldn't have become who he was. Mm. Sam Wise Gamgee wouldn't have been the faithful friend. You know, um, Merry and Pippin wouldn't have left the Shire. Like, they had to, they couldn't have the Eagles take them the whole way there because they wouldn't have become who they did. And that's not to say that your suffering is, you know, um, just part of God's plan so you could suffer. But I think it's that who is with you? What is happening in those moments of suffering? And who are you becoming as mm-hmm. you trust God? And Jesus is so with you. There, you know, Jesus is with you through that suffering. Um, so, yeah, I just, I'll never forget that. The Eagles were there the whole time. <laughs> and... I, my parallel to that, because I don't <laughs> so really good. watch those movies, okay. uh, which is funny. People think that I would. But my, my thing is that what does it say about they you? think I'm a nerd and I'm, I guess, different a nerd. I'm actually more geek than nerd, but that's a technical okay. term that only geeks would make. Um, <laughs> but I, I think about that with Captain Marvel, where yeah. in like the mm. Avengers stuff, you're like, right. Captain Marvel has all the powers. She yeah. can do all of this. Everyone just chill. Yeah. yeah. And it feels like we're 90% through the battle. Yeah. All the Avengers are dead and dying. And then she like shows up. She just finished a burrito and she's like, can I take care of this for you? And you're like, what? Where, <laughs> Where have you been? been right now? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, That's uh, so true. I, I think in the spectrum of comfort and suffering, comfort and suffering, we all want comfort. Like I want comfort. I yeah. want comfort. But we live in a broken world. And God's primary way to grow and develop us, go read Romans 5, go read James 1. God's primary way to grow and develop us is to put us in situations that we can't do on our own. Mm -hmm. And the more we try to do it on our own, the greater the suffering will become. And the faster we depend on God, even when it's difficult, the suffering we will find comfort in Him as we walk through it. And uh, that's just a, you know, the, the, the paradigm of Jesus, maybe I've mentioned this before, Jesus says, come and see. And we're really good at that as a church, not just Menlo, like just church in general. We great at come and see. Come see that the Lord is good. Come come experience this. This is amazing. But at one point, Jesus, for his disciples, they go from come and see to come and die. And we're not as good about helping people to understand, count the cost, because this will take everything. Mm-hmm. If you want the life that really matters, you will surrender your life for your new life, and that will always involve suffering. Yeah. And that is why the Lord should be our daily bread, just to circle back. Mm, that's good. <laughs> that's That'll why deal. we need this every, uh, day. every day in our life yep. to help sustain us through really difficult and even good times. Because when you're good, at some point you're not going to be good. And so you still need, you know, you still need the Lord to keep you sustained. And the just like eating food, if you find yourself malnourished a week and a half from now, it's not going to take one day of eating well for you to no longer be malnourished. It's going to take the steady investment in you to really be healthy and where you need to be. So if you go, well, I don't really have any rhythms with God. I think I'm good. Maybe you are today. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But to your point, like eventually you won't be. And you can't on that day be like, well, I'm going to pray today. I'm going to open the Bible today. Right. I'm going to start incorporating spiritual rhythms today. Cool. Well, the life of Scripture is, um, it's about seeds, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, It's principle of reaping, 
uh, a harvest that you've planted a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And so if you have not been sowing well, you will not be reaping well. Mm -hmm. And if you're not reaping well and you go, I need to start sowing, cool. Like the next season, that'll be ready for you. But in the meantime, you are going to be living out the decisions that you made weeks, months, and years ago. Mm -hmm. And the longer you've been planting the kinds of seeds that you're planting in your life, the longer it's going to be that you're going to reap the fruit you're reaping in your life. That's right. For the better or for the worse. Yeah. 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 And then there's one, I think there's one part of it that we're touching on is the personal suffering that we're dealing with. And this leads into a question that we got from one of our online viewers is world suffering. So the question is, how do we pray for world disasters, Libya, Haiti, etc.? It seems so trite to simply say, God help them. People have compassion fatigue, all seems far removed sometimes. And yet we need to pray for the world leaders for, sorry, for the world, our leaders, etc. Feels like a prayer that will never get answered. Well, I would say to release a little bit of tension, this side of eternity, it will never be fully and finally answered. So yeah. we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Uh, we pray that for natural disasters, things that we know about, things that we don't know about. Um, and and I, would, I would say if you are someone who is just like not informed of what's happening in the world, a great step is to just incorporate the pattern of saying, God, be with those leaders. God, be close to the brokenhearted in that region. And if God places it on your heart to like actually go, hey, how can I make a difference here? That may be, uh, there are lots of folks that live around here that got really involved with what was going on in Maui, people that got on airplanes mm -hmm. and went and, and flew and helped because yeah. it was so close to their heart. Uh, and then there are other times where you go, well, that, that atrocity or that disaster over there, there is a trusted partner, and I want to be able to financially help support what's going on. So you, so you do that, right? I, I think just like all the other things that we've talked about, prayer doesn't mean I don't do anything else. Right. Uh, it just means that's one thing that I have. And I think we know uh, that God wants the world to be healthy and whole, and He wants it so that death, decay, and dying are no longer a part of our forever story. The reason He's even tolerating it right now is out of patience that more people might come to know Him. And so I think being able to take a step back in a moment of crisis and go, God, what are you doing? Could you bring... Bind the brokenhearted, bring help and hope to the hopeless. Mm -hmm. uh, and God, remind me of this. We, we see that with Paul, where he's like, I pray for you at every thought I have of you, mm -hmm. right? And I think sometimes we live in a culture that desires so much of comfort. I think we do. We are exposed to way more atrocity around the world than we ever have been before. You could, you could make the case we're not built to hold on to that much pain all the time. I think that's fair. But I also think it's fair that, like, we just don't want to think about it. Mm -hmm. We just, you know, yeah. I grew up in a world where you, you prayed for missionaries around the world and you got updates about what was happening in closed countries where missionaries were all the time. And now it's kind of like, well, I had to wait extra long. I ordered my coffee on the app and it was just not ready when I got there. Right. And it was really annoying <laughs> today. And, and like yeah. that's the level of discomfort that's going to hit the Richter scale of our response and it may be that the Lord is saying, no, 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 like, I, th I think I just need you to be concerned with things that are outside of you more than just your own personal convenience. Right. And, and I think that the person asking the question, you know, they, they understand that. I wouldn't say that we're all overly dismissive, um, but I do think coming up with your own strategy for how are you going to pray through painful realities in the world, how are you going to think about and invest, what does it look like to pray with your kids, um, and I think there is a sense of gratitude to say, God, we live in the most prosperous nation in the history of the world, but with blessing, 
we are we are blessed to be a blessing. With blessing comes responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what is the responsibility, God, that you've placed on me for the blessing that I have? Yeah. I think naming that at the beginning of just like, yeah, I don't think we're it, on this side of heaven. Like that's it's just not going to go away. Right. Just to be able to just name that and like, okay, there's still things we can do. But when we read the when yeah. we read the scriptures about the end of the world, it gets worse. Yeah. It gets worse. <laughs> so we're like, oh, there's all these wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters, and it doesn't mean like, don't care about the planet because that that's what's going to happen anyway. Like we should be faithful stewards, but as the world's breaking apart as a result of sin in the human genome and in the fabric of our uh, of the created order. We shouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Like, it, we should pray for it. It should break our heart. It breaks God's heart. But we shouldn't be like, oh, my goodness, another hurricane? Like, yeah. Another country talking about going to war? Yep. Mm-hmm. In a broken world, what else would we expect? Mm. Yeah. This person also asked another question that said, I was told at some point in my life that Satan does not hear our prayers to God. Is that true? Are they truly private? So uh, this is a good... Um, it's so a good theological question. Uh, I would say we are in the realm of speculation, so I always want to, um, you know, there's no textbook, there's no, like, first demons, second demons. You know, like, <laughs> we're, we're um, you know, there, there's two types of theology in the Bible. Generally, there's systematic theology and there's biblical theology. Biblical theology is I'm taking the actual text and I'm just going, what does this say? Systematic theology is I'm taking all the texts I'm putting them generally in about nine or ten mutually agreed upon categories of theology, and this one would be considered angelology, where both angels and demons get placed. And so then we go, what does it look like? How do we think about this? If you've never read the book Screw Tape Letters, super helpful book, mm-hmm. but it's sort of a dramatization of mm-hmm. what this could be like, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's it's really kind of a unique take on a systematic theology approach about angelology. Um, b- but I would say what we know to be true is that Satan is not God. Satan is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent, right? So he doesn't know everything. He isn't everywhere all at the same time, uh, and he can't do anything he wants. He is limited. Job is another good example to see how this gets played Mm -hmm. out. And so with that in mind, when I pray, if I pray out loud, it is likely that there is a demon within earshot Mm -hmm. that's going to hear what you're praying. Now, I don't think that should keep you from praying out loud. I think Prayer is a part of doing battle in the spiritual realm. There are demons and angels uh, around us all the time. There are more angels than demons because Satan can't create things. He only took a third at the time, if we're to understand that text as connected to his origin story, and it's likely that God's created more since, right? So Satan is wildly outnumbered. He is going to lose. He knows he's going to lose. This is the final kind of flailing in a heavyweight match that the, um, the person who's about to be defeated knows. So I say all that to say Satan likely does not know any of our names. Um, it is a strategy that's being incorporated within the spiritual realm. Um, and when you pray to yourself, like when you pray in the quiet of your heart, just you and God, God can hear that. Mm-hmm. Other spiritual beings, whether that's angels or demons, can't because they can't read your mind. Um, but it is likely, just like when you uh, go to your phone and there's an algorithm that's advertising you a thing you feel like you've never said, mm. uh, you've just been thinking about, like that algorithm is just a really good guesser. Yeah. It knows you. It knows a whole lot about you. I would say as good as those algorithms of advertising to you on Instagram are, the algorithms of uh, the demonic realm are infinitely greater. For sure. So even if you go, <laughs> well, how, you know, like how would they possibly know? Yeah. They're great guessers, right? Yeah. They know you. They've been observing you your entire life. 
and they're just hoping that you'll continue to do battle in those areas of your life without God and without people. And so uh, I, w- I would say that's a, a cursory level of speculation as it mm-hmm. relates to how God interacts with our prayers and how Satan interacts with our prayers. A great book uh, that speaks to that, I would say, is uh, Live No Lies by great John Mark Homer. Fully on board. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he talks about kind of the lies of the systems of a broken world, our flesh, and the devil. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a great book. Shout out. JMC, friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else with this whole prayer series itself? Yeah, I mean, I think we've had a couple series now where we've created um, content that we hope lasts beyond the series. Like, we developed the content that way, we, t- we taught the content that way, and so... Um, don't feel like I need to wait for the next prayer series for the next kind of one-up. John Mark Comer is a good example. He wrote a book uh, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry several years ago that when I read it, it was really transformational. And I've just found that the uh, the systems of this world are slowly asking me to conform to them exactly what Paul says in Romans 12 not to do. And that book sort of becomes like a re-up. I'm not waiting for the next person to write the next book. I'm just going to pick that book back up and go, oh, yeah, I need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. And I, and I think that if uh, two months from now you kind of go, man, my prayer life has really drifted, uh, it's not that what you've done hasn't worked. It's that you're constantly being pressed into a mold of pace and pressure and stress that you weren't designed to live. And so maybe just come back to the model of Jesus, listen to it again on 1.25 or 1.5, and say, all right, God, I need to remember there's a model, not a mantra from my prayer, for an actual, not transactional relationship with you. There are habits that can be great habits of living a righteous life that are only developed in prayer with you. I'm going to keep doing that. So mm-hmm. hopefully it can serve as that long term. Yeah. I think, too, like I have friends that, you know, have kids, and so they look back at, you know, their life without kids, and they're like, man, I had such a good prayer life with God or I had a good walk with God or whatever and not that kids ruin your life but <laughs> time wise they're just like it just it's so hard it's such a bummer I don't have that sure that opportunity anymore what would you say to that oh um just try start I mean a groan can be a prayer you know a, a lament is a prayer mm. um a cry of help is a prayer, you know, as long as you're thinking of God as you're doing it. I just think that, you know, start small. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have, you don't have to read this whole prayer, you know. Um, uh, there are resources, so many resources available about praying. And ask friends, too. Like, I, I know we talk about every Sunday, if you need prayer, we have a prayer team. That's that's real. Like, yeah. we want you to come and pray with us. We want you to ask for prayer online. So just don't be afraid to ask for prayer. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid for your prayers to be like, just God help me. Yeah. Like, that's enough. Yeah. That's enough sometimes. Or God, thank you. Thank you so much for the blessings that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and help me. Like, it doesn't have to be elaborate. It can be very easy. Mm-hmm. I think the life hack, if you're in a really busy season of where are the pockets where maybe your body isn't free, but your mind is free. Hmm. Um, you know, one of the places that I probably pray the most is when I'm riding my bike and, uh, I get to connect with God in nature, which is a big deal for me. And, uh, there's not, there's nothing else pressing for my time, right? Nobody can get a hold of me. Like I'm, I'm just riding. And Mm -hmm. so that's helpful. Maybe for you, you love gardening or doing yard work. Maybe Mm -hmm. for you, you like working on your car, maybe for you, there's, you know, when you're grocery shopping, it's just second nature for you. Mm -hmm. You don't need to put a lot of thought into that. How can you turn your attention to God? You know, the, the, um, one of the most powerful things in, in my life young was listening to an interview with Billy Graham 
and the interviewer talked about like, hey, what's God teaching you right now? And he's older, and he just said, you know, when the Bible says pray without ceasing, like, I never really took it seriously, and I think that God's really challenging me to do that. And the interviewer's mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? He's like, I mean, I'm really trying to grow in this idea of <coughs> praying all the time. And yeah. he's like, what does that mean? He's like, well, I'm, it means that as I'm talking to you right now, I'm also praying for you right now, yeah. praying for this interview, yeah. praying for how God's going to use it. And you're like, <gasps> you know, and you're like, I think that's probably exactly what Paul was talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think that's I the trajectory of this over time. And so if we have in our head this idea of my pinnacle understanding of prayer or spiritual disciplines is this table with my coffee uninterrupted, I mean, I hope that you get some of that. Right. But I also think, especially if your season of life makes that impossible, how do you take the actual and work God into it? Yeah. The mundane things of life can be moments of prayer, folding your laundry, thanking God. This, I have laundry. I have towels to wrap around Mm -hmm. my children, thanking God. Yeah. 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 Supernatural still ends with natural. Mm. I even thought, uh, take a longer shower. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, a great sure. place that you, no one's yeah. going to bug you. Well, right. maybe not no one will bug you, but I know for me, the uh, I, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, just the um, what do I need today prayers have been really helpful for me the last week or so. And it's been cool, maybe not the end of the day, but the next morning as I'm like doing that prayer again, I'm like, oh, yeah, yesterday I prayed for that. He totally gave it to me. Wow, mm-hmm. that's like I I started a new workout reg, regime regime regimen whatever, um, and I've been very physically tired, but it, that kind of seeps into everything, even like you were saying. And so, one of the days I was like going with my nephews and my parents to Happy Hollow, and then the next day I had like three parties to go to, <laughs> and I was like, God, I just need like strength today and energy to just like get through the day. And I looked like the next day I was like. I'm still tired, but I got through the day and I had a good day because I had strength and energy that I needed. So that's been a really cool for me. And I actually started, brought my little journal to start writing it down too. Like this is what I asked so that I can look back and say, oh yeah, that was the day that I asked for this and God totally gave it to me. Yeah. It's been awesome. Yeah. That's great. It's really good. All right. Starting this Sunday, September 24th. A yep. couple big things happening. First off, every campus is launching a third service. Three services. Three services. <laughs> 830, 10, and 1130. So if you're listening and you're not involved in some way yet, please reach out to somebody, anybody on the campus you attend and ask, can I do anything this Sunday? Mm. I will be at Mountain View. I will be helping yes. Rochelle's husband set up tables awesome. for the middle school program. That's awesome. That's that's literally what he needs. And so I'm going to be there. So definitely reach out and ask how to help. Um, and then we're starting a new series, Explore God. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that mm-hmm. series, Phil. Yeah, so we are partnering with 160-something churches in the Bay Area that are all starting a series called Explore God this weekend. And uh, there are only a couple places in America where we've never seen what we would quantify as a revival take place in the history. Mm-hmm. Um, and San Francisco, Bay Area, Silicon Valley is one of them. <clears throat> And uh, I think the prayer for many of us uh, involved in the kind of, hey, let's stack hands and do this together is, God, could you do a work in the Bay Area? Could you do a work uh, through Menlo and these other churches that sees people who are far from you find you and follow you and to see marriages saved, to see bondage broken, to see a different kind of life in front of them than they have before them? And uh, 
yeah, we're, we're, we're praying for that. We're believing for that. We're going to teach to that. We're going to offer discussion groups to that around some of the biggest questions. So we're, this weekend we'll answer the question, uh, does life have a purpose? And, mm. um, you know, I, I think it's, it's a question, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you kind of go, of course, I know what the purpose mm-hmm. of my life is. Uh, but for lots of people who are not followers of Jesus, this is a question that eats at them because lots of the purposes, I would argue, other than being in relationship with God and enjoying that relationship forever, every other purpose has a very short shelf life. That product that that software engineer is developing is going to go away. That thing that they're building and working on going to go away. If my family's my purpose, the kids are eventually going to move away. Like all of these purposes are actually sub-purposes. And so trying to expose people to that idea, but here's what I'll tell you, it will not work, it will not work, it will not work, Mm. unless people who call Menlo home invite people who don't. Mm. And uh, that's not, hey, you should come to church this weekend. That's hey, would you come to church with me this yeah. weekend? Hey, can I take you to brunch? Would you go to church with me this weekend and go to brunch? Uh, you want to join this group with me? Actually taking a step, and I know that that requires courage, um, and I've given this feedback in the past, but I'll give it to you again. Listen for three knots. Someone that says, uh, I'm going through something that I was not prepared for. Things in my life, my marriage, my finances, my health are not going well or I am not in church right now. If you hear any of those three things, just pray that God would give you ears to hear them. Uh, if you hear any of those things, say, you know what, you should come to church with me this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're starting a series all about how we think about faith, and my encouragement to you is I hope you know at Menlo you can trust that we're not going to do this in a way that feels pushy or used car salesy. We're going to be thoughtful and kind and offer people the, the beginning of a conversation that we'll have over the next five weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope God uses it in some really special ways. Yes, and all of our campuses, like you mentioned, will have discussion groups. I um, mean, go to menlo.church slash explore God to look at the details for each campus. I think they're all on different nights. Um, and that's just a safe space. I think that's the biggest thing that they wanted us to really enforce is this is a safe space for people to come and ask those difficult questions that maybe they've been scared to ask or are afraid of a answer they don't want to hear or don't know who to ask. And this is these are the perfect opportunities for you to bring your friends, or maybe you're having these questions too, right. and be able to feel comfortable to ask those hard questions. Absolutely. Faith yeah. is a conversation and a journey. It's not just a, here's the magic prayer spell thing, I have to pray, now I'm good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm telling you, we are in the eternity business. And so uh, this is not just because we want someone... Uh, to have a better marriage, we do. This is not just because we want someone to have a balanced budget in their life, we do. This is not just because we want someone to have a path towards greater mental health, we do. Ultimately, all of those things are in purpose of an eternal relationship that is impossible without the work of God in their life and without the sacrifice of Jesus. And 93% of the people who are close to you in your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, in our region, are also far from God and right now are destined for an eternity without Him and we get to be missionaries. You may not have chosen to be a missionary. God chose you to be a missionary at your school, at your work, in your neighborhood. So please, 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 please take a step, if God calls you to this week, to invite somebody to experience it with you. Amen and amen. Yes. So good. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see you guys back next week. Thanks for being here, Rochelle. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Have a great week, everybody. See you guys. Bye. Bye.